but we never elevated our cuisine we never elevated our passion of food because we we as indians didn't do a good enough job of saying you know what i'm not going to sell my samosa for 50 cents i'm going to sell it for 3 bucks Welcome back to South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Vikram Vij. Vikram is an Indian-born celebrity chef, restaurateur, and owner of three Indian cuisine restaurants, Vij's Restaurants, Rangoli Restaurant, and My Shanti. Vikram has received numerous accolades and awards, including Vancouver Chef of the Year, Best Indian Award, as well as Best Restaurant. Vikram has also been a guest, ju- guest judge on Top Chef Canada, Shop Canada, as well as the first Indo-Canadian dragon on CBC's Dragon's Den. Vikram released his autobiography in spring of 2017 entitled Vidges, a chef's one-way ticket to Canada with Indian spices in his suitcase. It tells the story of how Vikram went to Canada and the growth of his business over the past 30 years. In this conversation, we discuss the start of Vikram's culinary journey in Austria and how he had to learn German to keep up. Why Vikram called his first restaurant Vidges as an ode to his grandfather as well as the incredible story of how Vikram served Justin Trudeau and his father at Vidges. Loved chatting about all things food and restaurants. So, I think you guys will really enjoy this one. So, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Vikram Vij. Vikram, welcome to South Asian Stories. We are so excited to have you on. Namaste I'm uh, excited to uh, share my path my journey and of course the passion of uh, food in the country that I left behind called India. Yes. And for all our listeners this is actually our first chef we've had on the podcast so this is doubly exciting for everyone listening and you know um as you guys heard in the bio Vikram has done literally everything so many amazing restaurants he's opened up he's been part of the uh, Canadian Shark Tank as as a dragon he's a sommelier just done everything so this conversation I'm just so pumped for so i'd like to start all the way vikram at the beginning so you said that before we go start recording you grew up in amritsar how was their childhood like can you talk to us what your family was like what your childhood any memories from there yeah well i'm a punjabi from amritsar i i uh, you know my parents were born and brought up in amritsar i was born in amritsar uh but uh, you know circumstances take you from amritsar to delhi and from delhi to bombay my father had moved uh but my roots were very very focused in amritsar amritsar is is you know a, a typical punjabi food capital where you you know you literally wake up in the morning and you stress over what you've had for breakfast <laughs> and then you stress over what you had for lunch and then and there's a constant eating that happens and and i grew up with that you know my aunts and my uncles and all of us do we grow up with with uh, this much love and passion but you friends and i was one of those really uh, uh, you know a, a kid with lighter colored eyes because i think there was an influence from northern part of india either from pakistan or from iran so i i had lighter colored eyes my skin was uh, fairer i was you know i was considered this blue eyed devil basically as a young <laughs> child um and then um you know 1984 happens uh, indira gandhi attacks uh, amritsar the golden temple and uh, you know literally there's no hope for us youngsters i was 18 and a half years old uh, didn't know where i was going to go what my direction in life was going to be i i knew that i wanted to be actually a bollywood star oh, you know, i wanted nice. to be an actor <laughs> I, I loved Nasiruddin Shah and Anupam Kher, and I was a big fan of those uh, stage acting performances. But then one day, typical Indian father sits you down and says, "No son of mine is going to become an actor. I'm telling you this, <laughs> you know, with a very strong Punjabi Indian accent." And I was like, totally devastated. I was hurt. Sure. I was sure. like, "Oh my God, I'm going to leave this 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 country. I, I can't believe it." And I was like, "What's the next best thing I could do to channel this energy of mine?" Because I was always a social butterfly. I, I loved people. I always have loved people. 
And uh, I said, I'm going to become a chef. Because at the end of the day, when people come over to your house and you host them, or when the restaurant opens at 530 uh, and you draw the you know curtains open and you welcome people and people are mingling with you, it is like a stage show, you know? It is like performance. Uh, a restaurant is a performance right? every day. It doesn't sure. matter how you are feeling. For you sure. just have to perform. So my my dream has come true that at the end of the day, every day at 5.30 when I open the restaurant up, I am on stage performing after yeah. all these years. You know, So I kind of joked with him the other day. I said, look, for all your talks about that, no son of mine is going to become an actor. I am acting just <laughs> yes. slightly differently. In, in just a different uh, field, right? <laughs> Correct. You know. So um, talk to us about that journey. You know, you decided, hey, okay, I want to act in a different field. Chef feels like the right way to go. What did you do next? So you were in Delhi. Did you go to um, chef school? What, what so, happened next? Yeah, so I, I decided I applied to a lot of schools. I mean, I wasn't really that smart. Uh, you know, I wasn't like the the mathematician kind of uh, smart, but I was always smart with, um, you know, with things. Like if you gave me four spices, I would cook you like a delicious meal. You know, I, I, I knew that. I was like a, was like a musician. I was like, I, I could create um, different permutations and combinations of food flavors. Mm-hmm. And I used mm-hmm. to love doing that. So... <clears throat> I applied to lots of places, and I decided that uh, finally uh, Austria was the place that that accepted me. Uh, the only prerequisite for Austria was that you had to go and uh, learn German. So I went to Pune and you know picked up German for three months, which was terrible, but at least I learned it up. The good thing is, we Indians are so astute with languages because we grew up with a little bit of Gujarati and a little bit of Marathi and a little bit of Punjabi and right. a little bit of Hindi and right. Urdu. Our, our mindset is always to speaking two or three languages is, is totally normal for us. It's not, it's not even a big deal for us. You know? Yeah. Right. So, uh, I went to, uh, study a little bit of German and then I came to Austria. And now you have to understand, you know, there's a difference between a speaking German and then there's a difference between a, a language of a country. For sure. You, you can't just speak that language fluently. So I was totally lost. <clears throat> I remember this, this day I was sitting in a Lufthansa flight. I still have my first ticket. I was sitting in a Lufthansa flight and uh, the air hostess comes and says, uh, put on your seatbelt, sir. And I'm like, what's a seatbelt? Because <laughs> it... 84, India didn't have seatbelts in their um, in their cars. We didn't have seatbelts. Right, right. And, and smoking was allowed at that time. So I was like nervous as hell and, you know, smoking in the back of the plane and drinking. And and I go to Austria thinking that oh, I've arrived. I'm 19 years old and I'm like this cool dude. And my hopes were completely shattered. I didn't speak a word of it. They didn't understand me. And I had come from, a, you know, a typical middle class but wealthy uh, Hindu family where we didn't eat beef at all. So the first day I go to the class and there's like, ah, here's this beautiful piece of beef tongue put on a wooden board that has been pickled for like 24 hours and it really looked like phallic symbol, you know, like sitting on a board with little cornichons and a little bit of pickles and a little mustard and a little rye bread, you know, that classic old world French right, style. Right, Almost like a little pate. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, seriously, <laughs> am I supposed to eat this? Yeah. It my must have been a, such a culture me, shock for you. Oh, my God. I, I mean, you know, you're not used to Austrian food. We're used to spicy style of foods. Right. I mean, how much, it doesn't matter how much homework you do. If you're not used to that kind of a food. So my mom had given me little chili pickles, just you know, uh, as a, as a son bringing out, like no different than a Gujarati getting giving, you know, tepla or, or or dokla or something to their to their kids, saying you know when when you need a little comfort of your mom. So mom had given me a little pickle, and for almost like two weeks, I ate white bread with little this chili pickle oil on top of it. <laughs> oh man! And then I had the runs. I had the runs after two weeks of eating those chili pickles. I was, my stomach was a disaster. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I better smarten up here and start eating what these guys are eating. Yeah. And hence my journey of, um, you know, becoming a chef. It was very, very tough. The language was a barrier. 
I mean, imagine sitting in a class for like six hours and not understanding a word of what they are saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I can't. But we Indians are again so smart. We are so smart in certain ways. I had learned the way because I had done chemistry in in India. I like you know a BSc. I was doing BSc, so I had learned the art of learning pages and pages. You know, in in Punjabi or in Hindi, we say ratta marna, which means just to learn the whole bloody page. Yeah. And I, I had mastered that art. So I, my German, written German was perfect. My uh, my grammar was perfect in writing because I would learn everything. In German, we say the word is called Auswendig, which means you just, you just learn, put it in your head, and you would write pages and pages of. So I couldn't speak a word of it, but I could <laughs> write perfectly. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, because I, I would spend so much time just learning the... So, you know, it was very, very tough for the first, I think, probably six months. And I really did think at one point I was going to go back. I, I, after six months, I felt like I don't belong here. Uh, there was a lot of prejudice. There was a lot of way of uh, not accepting me. And I thought, ah, maybe I should just just go back and, you know, tell my dad that fine, I'll just enter his clothing business that he was doing in Bombay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what was and the then, turning point? Yeah. And then I uh, went to a bar one day after six months and I said, if I need to learn German, I need to get myself a girlfriend because <laughs> there's no other way I'm going to learn German. Yeah. I'm not going to learn German in school. The way they teach you, it's not going to learn. I need to have somebody who doesn't speak a word of English. And I still remember her name. Her name was Susanna Inkbrink. And we, you know, got together. And in six months, my German was perfect. Wow. And so was the, and so was the sex life. <laughs> like, imagine lying in, in bed... And she can't speak a word of English and you can't speak a word of German and you have a dictionary between you guys and saying, this is what I want to do. And <laughs> after six months, you pick it up, man. Yeah. It, it goes really fast. The after power year, of women. I was like, yeah. <laughs> power of, of wanting to do something so badly yeah. that yeah. it took me to the point where I was willing to say, oh, okay. And I hid it from my parents. My parents didn't know that I was, you know, dating somebody or I was with somebody at right. the time. sure. And um, so that three years went by and studied, studied hard, uh, did well. And then uh, I was working at all these fancy hotels, fancy restaurants. And, you know, I was the only brown guy in the kitchen. So it was always like, oh, you're the best East Indian chef we have. And I was like, uh, I'm the only I one. am the only, <laughs> yeah. you know, the typical brown. And I, I wasn't allowed to cook main courses. I was not allowed to uh, serve up uh, things. I was only allowed to make like staff meals and schnitzels. And, and, but you accept it because you, you know, you, you, you feel that if, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to beat a chef, you're going to have to cook at that level with them and and you know i was i was firm i was very strong and i worked my way up and then um there was a gentleman manager of the banff springs hotel uh, which is a small town in uh, mid uh, of canada in, in alberta mm -hmm. uh, a very beautiful town called banff and it has a beautiful hotel called the banff springs hotel and um he was having dinner there. He was a, he was an immigrant and um, to Canada, and he wanted to have something spicy. And again, you know, the same thing came up. Oh my God, you're the only brown guy that can cook something spicy. So they asked me to make him a soup, and I made him a goulash soup with but with Indian spices. By because you know we always carried a little chili pickle and a little garam masala yeah. right, and right, coriander. Right. And I made a soup out of it and I gave it to him. And he was like, who made this soup? And I thought I was going to get fired because he had asked to see me. And uh, he says, you know, guys like you belong in a country called Canada. It's a beautiful country. 
it's a great democracy, you should come. And uh, I applied, and six weeks later, he sent me an envelope which had a one-way ticket to come and work at the Banff Springs wow. Hotel wow. and a six-month working visa. So hence my journey started and came to North America. And I worked at the Banff Springs Hotel for three and a half years as a cook, as a dishwasher. So let me, let me, that, let me pause you for a second. When yeah. you got that package to go to Canada, what was your mindset like? Were you like a little anxious like, or were you excited to jump on the opportunity? Like where was your head at? My head was, ah, what do these North Americans know about food? You know, <laughs> I mean, we had, we had, I had studied culinary programs. You know, I was studying in Austria and France and Germany, you know, where we, where we would start with a glass of champagne and then have half a bottle of white wine and a bottle of red. Your dinner was supposed to be like for, you know, three to four hours and, and, like a full gastronomy. I mean, I actually belonged to a, a, a pipe club. I used to smoke pipe because I wanted to be elegant and I would smoke tobacco. <laughs> For sure. And we, I would belong to pipe. And, you know, things like this. So here I am getting an opportunity to come to North America. And all I'd heard about was everybody loves a hamburger and a beer. Yes, you know, yeah. I never realized that culinary was even a part of it. So my first reaction was, and eh, I'm not going to go there. What yeah. am I going to do? Like learn, learn how to cook hamburgers? <laughs> yeah. Like what am I going to do? Cook myself hamburgers? But then when I realized, when I came here, I realized that, um, you know what? I don't need to be a part of a melting pot. Because in Austria at the time, you had to be almost become German to be part of the mosaic. Whereas in Canada, I could be who I am and not needed to be yeah. changed myself, change sure. my book. The melting pot. And so I, the melting pot. So I, I became more focused on that and said, okay, you know what? I can, I can do this. I can do this in this country. And so Canada became my home. Uh, I worked at the Web Springs Hotel and then came to Vancouver. And, but I always in my mind used to feel that when I open up a restaurant, I will never have prejudices against every any human being, whether it is a man or a woman or or, or anybody for, for either the color of their skin or their beliefs, because I had felt that prejudice against uh, being in the kitchen. Uh, and so that journey started of opening up the first vigils with no reservations of saying it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what your culture is, doesn't matter how much money you have, you will be given the same love and respect. And I would serve a first cup of tea uh, to everybody that walked in and some Indian style biscuits. So I brought my Indian hospitality back onto the plate. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take the concept of like, oh, this makes sense or not. I just said, this makes sense to me. This is what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. And uh, and it's hence. one of those things where it's like you created a restaurant, you created an experience that you wanted yourself. And that's what made it special is I want this to be in the image of me. And so I'm going to create something. Was that what you, what you wanted to do and what you ended up doing? I wanted to put myself on the plate. Yes. I wanted to say, this is who I am. So exactly what you said. I wanted people to uh, see that, okay, you know, he's Indian, so he hasn't lost his Indianness because he grew up in that country. You know, when, when you've lived for 20 years in a country uh, and you've, you've uh, you know, drank that water and you ate that food, you can't give yourself up. You can't uproot yourself. You should never uproot yourself. It doesn't matter whether you come from Syria or Afghanistan or from, uh, you know, from Guatemala or from anywhere else. If your roots are from a certain country, we should never give it up. We should be very proud of it. We should be the unappointed ambassadors of the country that we have left behind. You know, whether it is your father or your mother or anybody else, we have to be part of that. Um, so I, I put myself on the plate, but I had studied in Europe. I had studied in Austria. So I, you know, I enjoyed the wine pairings with it. Uh, you know, I was a sommelier at the time. And so creating those experiences was 
I wasn't, I never said I'm in an authentic Indian restaurant. I never said I'm in, um, I, I, that I'm in a traditional Indian restaurant. I just said, this is who I am. I put myself on the plate. Yeah. Eat it. I hope you enjoy it. You know? Let's talk about opening a restaurant, you know, Prior to this, you worked in Banff, you worked in Austria, you know, you were, you were a chef and creating stuff, you worked as, you know, a dishwasher, all these parts of a restaurant. How did you transition to being the owner of a restaurant? Was it a different sort of feel? I'm sure it was a different sort of responsibility. Talk us through that. Well, uh, so when you're, when you're working for somebody else for all these years, you know, and in high-end French dining and everything else, you, there comes a time in your life um, when you say, you know, I want to represent my cuisine properly as well. I don't want it to be that I'm considered ethnic or I'm tucked under the carpet and I'm considered cheap. Yeah. You know, I felt that we were we we had we as Indians had become best of doctors and lawyers and engineers and real estate, anything, any field you do it in, but we never elevated our cuisine. Yes. We never elevated our passion of food because we, we as Indians didn't do a good enough job of saying, you know what, I'm not going to sell my samosa for 50 cents. I'm going to sell it for three bucks. Yes. And you're going to have yes. to buy it because it's the best samosa you've ever had. Yes. You know, I, I, I wanted to showcase that my cuisine is as complex as any other cuisine in the world whether it's French, whether it's Italian or, or San Francisco cuisine, I, I wanted to showcase that. Yeah. So, so what happened with that was I was like, okay, dad, I'm ready to open up a restaurant. I'd worked in the industry for like 10, 11 years, you, you know, uh, uh, working in different fields. And I was like, okay, I've learned everything about it. Now's the time to take this baton and run with it. And I was 30 years old and I said, if I don't do it now, I'll end up just continue working for somebody and never get a chance to go up. So I called up my father. My father was in Bombay, my mom and dad. And I said, um, I'm ready to open up a restaurant. And they were like, okay, we're coming down. So they came to visit me. They, you know, typical Indian parents bringing you US dollars in a brown paper bag. <laughs> right. You know, that typical uh, mentality. I was like, why didn't you transfer it? He's like, Are, no, yeah, no, no, you know. That's just like that typical thing anyway. So Did your mom bring here, you your pickle? <laughs> yeah. You know what? My mom used to make me the chicken curry uh, at the restaurant which we had bought. And she would come on a bus with a pot of chicken curry between her legs. And she didn't <laughs> tell me for the longest time that everybody on the bus would make fun of her saying, uh, what is this crazy Indian woman doing with sure. a pot of chicken curry between her legs, you know? Yeah. But that's what parents do for their kids. I mean, yeah. I want people to understand. To see the sacrifices that your parents make for you in order for you to have a great life and a great time. So how can we not acknowledge that? How can we not pay gratitude towards it? You know, whether it's anybody's parents, you know, we've come here for greener pastures, and that's what our, our position is. And when I opened the restaurant up, you know, my breakaway point was a hundred bucks. If I sold hundred dollars a day, I knew I was going to survive. Wow. hundred dollars a day. And some days I would do $96 in sales and $95 in sales. And you know what I would do? I would go to the cash register and just ring in $4 of naan just to feel good. <laughs> You made it. <laughs> because <clears throat> after a few scotches, you forgot that it was 100 bucks fake that you had rung in. And you your mindset, it would wake you up. This is what entrepreneurs do. If yeah. you need to get up in the morning, you need to play with your mind a little bit. Sure, sure. Motivates you in different ways. Um, I want to talk exactly. about the, the restaurant um, you decided to, to make it. How did you come up with the menu? How did you come up with the dishes that represented who you were, your face on a plate? Um, the, the approach was I wanted to do traditional Indian food. So we, want, we, get, we got back to the basics of roasting our own spices and grinding our own spices. Um, talking about grinding our own spices, I've just ground some coffee. And so if you hear a little bit of a noise at the back, 
I'm just making myself a cup of coffee, classic old way, which is, uh, you know, ground coffee, uh, and like an espresso style. But I'm going to enjoy it with the Indian biscuits, the glucose Harley biscuits that yes. are for a dollar each because I, I cannot give that part of my life up. Yes, you know? you're, you're so pairing if, the if you're high and the low. At the back, <laughs> yeah, if you're hearing the murmur at the back, it's because I'm making uh, this, this coffee uh, with the <clears throat> with the biscuits and stuff like that. Lovely. So your question, what was your question again? I forgot. Yeah, the, the, the question was how you created the menu. And I want to hear about your favorite item on the menu and just something that was that you're just so, so proud of till, to this day that you, you, you've put as part of the menu. So <clears throat> I wanted to stay traditional to the, to the cuisine. Actually, when I first opened the restaurant up, it was called Cafe Arabia because I didn't have the money to close the place down fully. So what I did was I, I bought it in September and I would do falafels and tabbouleh and chicken tauk, like things like this. And every two days I would change one item on the menu. So instead of doing a falafel, I did a samosa. Instead of doing a chicken doner, I did chicken curry, for example. So what I did was I... <clears throat> Didn't want to fully, um, you know, hit the market by saying, oh, by the way, I'm not a Lebanese restaurant anymore. I'm an Indian restaurant. Yeah, the slow burn, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because by this time, I had already had people who were coming into the restaurant who liked my food that I was making. So um, the transition was one thing at a time. So, you know, Vidge's family chicken curry, Vidge's lamb curry. So instead of doing... Donairs, for example, I started doing different things. And uh, and then one weekend in probably end of November, beginning of December, I decided to um, uh, change the whole menu. And I changed the restaurant from Cafe Arabia to call it Vidges. And the reason why I called it Vidges is because when I was growing up in Amritsar, my grandfather used to drink a bottle of scotch and smoked two packets of cigarettes every day. And every day in the evening, he would come and say to me, Vikram, when you grow up, I want you to open up a restaurant one day because I will be the bartender in your restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, give me a job. Because he wanted to drink for free. Yeah, he wanted (laughs) to drink for free because he knew that I wouldn't charge him for alcohol. Yeah. And so... The restaurant Vidges is to actually honor my grandfather. Wow. Whose name was Roshan Lal Vidge. It has actually nothing to do with Vikram Vidge. Wow. That's amazing. Um, how did you, the recipes that you came up, were they family recipes that you've had for years and years? Or did you take new recipes that you learned over your you know, 10, 11 years of experience? Like what, where, where were the recipes from? So, Indian food is the best democracy of food. If you actually look at it, there's no one way to make Indian food, right? I mean, there, there is a Dokla made in Surat, and there's Dokla made in Baroda, and there is Dokla made in Chennai. Right, right. Two, three different places, and it's made in diff- three different ways because there's no one way to do it. So I used what my background was, which was Indian, but I had studied as a French chef. And I had no recipes. We've never had recipes at the restaurant. We've, we, we've never written recipes down. Wow. That's the beauty of it. When somebody comes into the restaurant and says, oh my God, the last time when I had chicken curry, it was a little bit less spicy than today. I look at them saying, thank God. That means a human being's made it. Yes, right. Not a machine. You know, it's... Not a machine. It's not. If you really want machine food, if you really want exact food, go to McDonald's. If you want good food that's slightly different, then come to us and it's okay to be slightly different. My point was I was ready to accept it and I didn't want. I I, I hate the word when somebody says, well, it should be consistent. No, food is not meant to be consistent. Chai in different parts of India is different all over the place. It's meant to be who that person is. As long as you can taste the love and the passion of the person, 
that's all that matters. Right. That's exactly right. And you think about how my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother make food. It's not through recipes. It's just trial and error. They learn a few things here, pinch of this, pinch of that. And so it just... As you said, it's democracy, amalgamation of things that they've learned over time, and it and has variance, and that's what the love is. Is it 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 changes the way how you feel and how you make things. I, I totally agree. And I and I can tell you this: every listener will understand because they will say, "Yeah, I understand it." It's like asking a singer to sing the same note, same music right, exactly. all the time. You cannot. They will never be able to. If you ask Muhammad Rafi or anybody else to sing the same song again, it will be slightly different. Yes. Then why should food not be different? Food should also be different that way. Absolutely. You know, and, and so the, the recipes were never created. Recipes were just uh, formed. They just happened. And it was okay to be different. For sure. For sure. I want to talk about a few funny stories that you had mentioned. So you, you talked about how Justin Trudeau brought his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, both, you know, high ranking Canadian government officials. Can you talk to us about that story? Was that at Digis? Yes. So, um, I had no reservation policy. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have everybody that was equal come into the restaurant. I, because I had felt so much hierarchy in India, because I had felt so much, uh, I had felt uh, so much hierarchy, and and you know prejudices against uh, myself. I wanted that it didn't matter who you are, didn't matter where you come from, didn't matter who you, what the color of your skin was, you were going to get the same love and respect. So in the same way, Justin at the time uh, was uh, a teacher in Vancouver and uh, he would, you know, come to the restaurant. And one day he brought his father, Pierre Le Trudeau, and the whole restaurant went pin drop silence <laughs> to see if I would give up my values of uh, treating him differently because, of course, he's iconic, you know, yes. I mean. It it would be like if if Reagan walked into your restaurant, right, or or, right. or G- Jimmy Carter walked into your restaurant, or Obama, or Obama walked into your restaurant. Yeah, and um, it was incredible to see. I went up to him and I said, uh, "Mr. Trudeau, there's a 20 minute wait for a table," and he said, "That's okay." And he came to the back in the lounge. So, so the fact is that we didn't make people wait outside. There was, a, there was a beautiful lounge that I created. I created like an Indian, you know, uh, like an Indian household. Like you go to somebody's house, you sit in the living room first. Right, right. You have a little cup of tea. You have something to munch on. And then you go to the back and you eat. Yes. And that's exactly what we created. I No, it wasn't. Uh, so he went to the back. He sat down and, and he ate. And when he was leaving, I went and touched his feet. And I said, Mr. Trudeau, I just want to thank you for your policies in 1960s that allowed immigrants like me to come and be successful and be happy and follow our dreams. Yeah. And he picked me up and, you know, he gave me a big hug and said, I've had Indian food lots of places and this was delicious. But my point was, at that point, it became quintessential that if a Canadian prime minister can wait for a table for 20 minutes, then so can everybody else right. wait for 20 minutes if there's a 20-minute wait. So that that element of uh, you know celebrities, Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford and Anthony Bourdain, who was a personal friend, who became a personal friend um, afterwards, and we did a, a show together. We did two shows together, actually. Um, you know, we became friends, and um, you know they all came and they all respected where we came from, what what our food was, what our style of food was, and they all waited like everybody else. Daniel Bulud, you know who who's uh, an iconic, um, uh, you know, American restaurateur from New York, uh, you know, he waited like everybody else and he respected where I was coming from. So it was, it was more of equality. It was like, I respect you uh, as a human being. So I, I actually brought the word namaste to the right meaning of saying, I honor you and respect you and you honor me and respect me. Wow. That's amazing. And I think, Vikram, that is so powerful that that happened because, you know, everyone can, you know, be true to their values, but if they're not have actions behind it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just your word. And the fact that Justin came in with his father and he said, hey, 20 minutes, 
this is the policy. Come have some snacks at our lounge or just come hang out. Like that just shows so many people and that, hey, he's not just a man. Of, he's a man of his word, but also his actions. But I think it's so, so yeah. powerful. That's amazing. And when he became the prime minister, uh, because at that time, obviously, he was not. He was a young kid. When he yeah. became the prime minister of Canada, when he was going to India, he asked me to accompany him to sh- to showcase Canadian products that are grown by Indo-Canadians and the Indian farmers yes, and yes. Uh, and to, to go back to India. So his element was that uh, I went there as a culinary ambassador to showcase the farming community of British Columbia because British Columbia has a very, very deep-rooted, beautiful Punjabi community yep. that creates a great, uh, you know, blueberries and, and, and farming is very, very strong here. You know, we've done yeah. really well for ourselves in this 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 part of the world. Yes, that's amazing. Um, one of the things you had touched on before is equality and respect for everyone. And one of the things you had told me before was that all your staff in the kitchen are women. What a powerful statement that is. Can you talk a little bit more about why you made that decision? Well, it was not just um, – it didn't, didn't happen overnight. Obviously uh, – you know, Miru, who's from Washington, D.C., was part of uh, the restaurant. And uh, we got married. We have two beautiful kids. We're not together anymore. Uh, but uh, we have, uh, you know, been, we've remained friends. And we've been, uh, we still run Vigis and Rangoli together as as uh, business partners. And we have a beautiful relationship of friendship and respect for each other. She has her own relationship. I have my own relationships and so when we when we had uh, when we had uh, gotten together in 1994 95 almost um we realized that the indian women have like the this unbelievable touch of the food the spices i didn't need to teach them i didn't need to give them recipes i, I would just say can we do this a little bit this way and and they would come up with, with those recipes they would come up with those dishes and they were so immaculate and because Miru had grown up in Washington, D.C., uh, two Indian parents, um, she did a fantastic job of, of you know, just breaking that barrier and speaking to them in the language that they understood while I was taking care of the business in the front of the house and, and running the businesses. And so one day, one of my aunties who was there, she said uh, to Miru and to me and said, uh, you know, we don't really need to have any guys in the kitchen. We are all family. We'll work together. I promise you, you'll never be disappointed with the, the style of the food that you're getting. And it just clicked on us and it just happened. So it's not that we chose not, we chose to say, oh, no, no, we're only going to have women. It just happened yes. that somebody was always an auntie of somebody's and somebody was a daughter-in-law who had come from India and somebody was this. And it just they kept hiring the same family <laughs> members. So they're all a family. Like yeah. literally they are the carpool, they come together and they all know each other and they all work extremely hard. And the funniest part of it is there's no hierarchy in the kitchen. Yeah. Nobody is trying to be a sous chef and an executive chef or anything about. They come in, they know the sauces that they need to make, they know the curries that they need to make, and then they leave. Wow. It's 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 a bizarre form of like you when you if you came to the restaurant and you looked at it, you'll be like, how come this woman has no inspiration? She has no inspiration to say, I want to become an owner of a restaurant or anything else. Nothing. They just want to come in. They, they want respect. They want the love. They want to be treated well. And, and we provide all that for people. And all of these ladies' kids have gone to great schools and have become doctors and engineers and, you know, like, and a typical immigrant story that mom worked in the kitchen and dad uh, and the sons and the kids have become, you know, successful entrepreneurs and business people or academics in that sense. Wow. That's and amazing. it's amazing. I see this. Yeah. I see these kids come in and I'm like, whoa, I can't believe you're yeah. like you, you know, you're working for Ernst and Young or you're working for Deloitte and you're working for, you know, uh, uh, you know, PwC. And I'm like, Wow, I remember you were a young kid, you know, yeah, you could running around barely the speak the language. <laughs> yeah, and and here you are, you know, uh, you've done so well for them. So, and that's what gives me that feeling of like, I have passed that legacy on 
to these young kids. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at Gandhiji or you look at Nelson Mandela, or you look at Martin Luther King, I mean, they left legacies behind. You know, people remember them for what they did. And, and I'm sure in our own families, we have the same thing. You know, we say, oh, my grandmother used to do this or my mother used to do this or my uncle used to do this to me. Those are legacies. And that's what we should be creating, legacies for people. That's absolutely true. And one thing I, I thought was amazing is you've created legacy and not just one restaurant, but as you said, the multiple restaurants. Like, you know, doing one restaurant is a lot of work and having success is, is an amazing accomplishment. But you've done it for almost two others, Rangoli and My Shanti, which I thought was interesting because they're all 10 years apart. Was that planned? Mm. Like 94, you opened Vidges, 2004 Rangoli, 2014. Like it's almost like on the dot every decade. You're like, hey, let's do something new. Let's change it up. You know, um, I had said to myself when I was 30 years old that by the time I'm 50, I would like to have five businesses under my belt to have one business for one decade of my life. That wow. was a goal of mine. Yeah. So when you say I did four, I actually did five because I did a food factory called right. Bridges Inspired Indian Cuisine. And then I also did the, uh, the food trucks and everything else. So I managed to get to five businesses by the time I was 50 because that was the goal of mine. Wow. And that was a personal goal of mine. So the reason why they wanted to be different. Otherwise, I could have just you know multiplied the same one formula. But then... That would be like asking Prince to sing Purple Rain all the time. Like, yeah. how boring would that be? Right, you know? right. I mean, can you imagine if, 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 if Prince said, or we said to Prince, only sing Purple Rain. I mean, how boring would that life be? Yeah, no So growth. to be more creative, to be a little bit more pushy, to be a little bit out there, I always wanted to create new restaurants. And I'll never, ever multiply restaurants. I'll never. It's not my style. I, I will never come up. I'd rather have four restaurants, but they're all different than to have 40 restaurants that look the same. Right. And what was your inspiration behind starting Rangoli and, and My Shanti? Like, what, what did you want to do with each concept? So, Vidges is the modern idea of, of uh, Indian food. So, it's like, this is me. I'm on the plate here. Yeah. I studied in Austria. It's different. It's modern. It's very authentic in a sense that the spices are uh, roasted at the restaurant, but it is presented differently. So, it's got onion rings on top of it. It's got a little, you know, a little spoon of this and a little spoon of that. Rangoli was based on a, a single thali, like a plate. You know, when, when you, when you, when I was growing up in India, when you would go for thali, so a little bit of chickpeas and a little bit of dal and vegetarian and meat right, and right. thali, Gujarati thali or yes. Rajasthani thali. Yes. Or and then my shanti was based on my travels to India. So I go to India every year and we go to people's homes and learn how to cook and learn things. And I, I brought that back. So when, when Miru and I separated uh, from uh, the Vidges and Rangoli, I created my own restaurant called My Shanti, which was based on my travels. So let's say I come to your house and mom, your mom makes a delicious uh, you know, rice pudding. I was like, oh, I want to take this recipe and brought it to Vancouver. And I, and I said, you know, from Dallas, uh, a rice pudding, which is delicious, which is your mom. So I, I, I wanted to pay homage to... Uh, different parts of India, not just Bombay and Delhi and, mm. you know, Ahmedabad and Gujarat or anything like that. I wanted I wanted all of India to encompass because I really do believe. Like I'm going to India on 15th of February uh, again to go to learn, you know, different nuances of food and cuisine and cultures. And, and, so, and India is such a beautiful democracy. Yeah. And was there a recipe or... Um, dish that you found the most unlikely of places we were like wow i couldn't believe i discovered this dish there and i brought it back to my shanti so for example i was in southern india i think probably two or three years ago uh and i had the best chana batura like chole batura really the punjabi style <laughs> in south india and i was like this is crazy this guy is crazy who 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 made this so i asked the kitchen chef and i said who made this and I realized 
he had put star anise in the chole because Punjabis never use star anise as a spice in the in the chickpeas. And what he had done with the chickpeas was he was soaking the chickpeas in tea water. So what they would do is, you know, the chai wala is on the side. They yeah. throw the tea bags away. And this guy would pick up the, the pick up the chai uh, tea bags and soak the chickpeas overnight. So they got that little brownish smokiness to them, that flavor of it. And I was like totally blown away. I was like, how simple is this? Yeah, genius. And how ingenious is this? That this guy's using tea bags that are discarded from making tea from next door. And he uses and he boils his chickpeas in these tea bags. And they gave that little and made different. And he had a lineup of the chickpeas. People used to buy his chickpeas from there. And I asked him. I, first, she said, no, 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 sir, it is okay, it is okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And I was like, no, there's something different here. I, my palate is telling me. And he says, come, I'll tell you a secret. And then he showed me a secret. And, and I was like, oh, my God. So yeah. I brought it back to Maishant. So Maishant, these chickpeas are actually cooked in tea bags that are left over from the tea. And I put star anise in it. And even everybody comes in and is like, wow, these are the best ones we've had in a long time. Wow. So things like this, things like this, you know, it's, it's, it's music. It's it's. Food is music. Yeah. Food is art. Food is culture. You know, slightly different. And just the innovation of it is just incredible. It's like one of the few fields that it's constantly evolving. You can pull in influences from different things. Like this teabag thing, you probably were just like, my mind is blown. And like this guy just happened to try it out, worked out well. And now it's one of your best dishes in this massive restaurant that you have. Like, can you imagine that just the the story arc of that? That's just incredible to me. Um, wow, that's uh, that's crazy. Um, I want to talk, Vikram, about your experience as a dragon. Can you tell us how that came up and, and what, what that was like for you? Right. So, you know, restaurants were doing well. Um, I had gotten some money, I had amassed a decent amount of wealth, you know, because at the end of the day, the business aspect of it is always in your blood, right? So you, you start becoming a little bit astute. And um, I had put myself out there to say that um, I, I was doing Chopped Canada, I was doing Top Chef Canada. So I was doing competitions outside because I always believed that I needed to go out to the these competitions and fight for my right to be accepted as a cuisine. And if I didn't do it, nobody was going to come to me and say, well, we're going to give you this this award, you know. So it, it was the same thing. Um, it was I had amassed some money. I would had some wealth. And um, they asked you to put some a certain amount of money on the side uh, for the Dragon's Den. Then they asked me if I was interested. They liked the visuals. They liked the way I talked. And I was like, uh, sure. So I went for an audition for the show, because at the end of the day, remember, there's an actor in Vikram Ridge, right? Way right. down there, That's right. there is an actor, there's a performance that needs to happen, yes. you know? So out of the all the 600 auditions that the people had come for, I was chosen as a dragon. But then they said, we, love it. we like what you see, but can you wear a suit and a tie? And I'm like, no, fuck, I don't even own a suit and a tie. I'm an Indian. <laughs> yeah. I don't own it. I don't have it. Either I said, either you're going to accept me for who I am, uh, and I'm not going to wear socks on the show. I'm going to wear a jacket. I'm going to wear, um, or I'm not going to do it. And they were like, really? I mean, you could be the first Indo-Canadian dragon. And I was like, I understand it, but I'm, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I can't give up my values. I can't, yeah, I cannot give up who I am. You know, it's like asking Ellen to, change her sexuality it doesn't yeah. happen yeah. right right so sure enough after a year and a half of negotiating can you do this can you do that they allowed me to become a dragon and i was the first indo-canadian dragon to get onto that panel so if you look at your shark tank for example <clears throat> i took over um a position that was left because he decided to come Mr. Wonderful decided to come to the States to do the Shark Tank. Right. So wow. I took over his position in in Canada and the Dragons Den became really popular show. It is it is still one of the most popular shows. But then after a while, I was also like mm, not having fun at it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not yeah. the kind of guy. I'm like, 
you know what? I I I rather do my food shows. I enjoy what I'm doing. So I I gave that up and um, I did some Netflix shows and some other shows that are in the pipeline and some Punjabi shows and stuff. My point was I didn't want to do something that I didn't feel like doing. Absolutely, yeah. Because like I, you're you're I, at the stage of your life where you're like, I want to do something that only brings me joy. Not only joy that I can give back to Got the it. country that I left behind. Got it. Joy yeah. is every day that I live gives me joy. Yeah. But every day I live with the purpose of saying, I want to bring awareness. I want everybody once in a week to eat Indian food once a, a week, Italian, Chinese, Vietnamese, Cambodian. Because remember, Samir, food and music will solve the problems of the world. When people break bread together, when they listen to music together, you you build tolerances towards each other. Not the guns and definitely not the politics. So yes. that is my message. That is my focus. That has been my focus and a goal and a purpose. The way Gandhiji had a focus to free India, the way Nelson Mandela wanted apartheid gone, the way civil rights were so important to Martin Luther King. I think my goal in life has been to bring awareness to my cuisine and my culture of where I came from. Wow, that is amazing. Your food is your freedom. Um, can you, you touched us on this a little bit, Vikram, but can you tell us a little bit about what's next for you? Can you give us a peek under the hood? I'm sure the listeners at this point are like salivating to nine out where they can find you and where, 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 what's next for you because you've done so much already. Anything left up your sleeve? Uh, <clears throat> yes, always will, always have. Um, and I'm not the kind of guy who stays at home and flicks channels and watches football games or watches soccer or anything else. I I, I am I have serious ADD and I'm okay with it. Um, I love to do things. I love to you know um, <clears throat> go out there. And so the next goal is um, I'm going to go to India now. I'm going on February and create some spice mixtures, spice blends, and I can bring them here and then let people um, you know understand that Indian food is not just butter chicken and chicken tikka masala, that there is more to Indian food. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm going to create. Is The next goal is to let people enjoy at home, cook with it. And I would like to one day open up an Indian cooking school where we can talk about the journey and the life wow. and the spices and give back to the non-Indians <laughs> uh, who want to learn because there is so much greatness in this cuisine. And today we talk about yoga and Ayurveda and everything else. Yeah. But these are, these are, um, <clears throat> these are cultures that are so deep rooted, you know, um, that have so much depth to them. And there's so much to learn from them. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be Indian only. I'm saying it can be anywhere. The first nations, the, 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 you know, the people from, from Central America, all those places, we have so much to learn from each other. Uh, that that is what I want to do next. That's amazing. Are you going to be calling it Vidge's Cooking School? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll cross that path, uh, right. you know, when I get to it. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll just call it a curry house or something yeah. like that, you know? Right. Because right. curry is not a spice. Curry is a blend of so many different spices. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will obviously um, want to do something else down the road, but constantly changing, constantly learning, and constantly pushing uh, the parameters of your own self as a human being, but also you know, giving back to the to the community uh, who has done so well. You know, I mean, right. we have been beautifully represented in this country. We should uh, uh, acknowledge that completely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, Vikram, this has been amazing. I want to end with our rapid fire questions. And these are questions that are, uh, we post to every guest that we have on the show, and we've gotten some amazing answers, um, you know, over the, the last few interviews. So um, I'd like to start with, is there an item that you have bought recently that has dramatic, dramatically improved your life? So small or big, but something that you've bought recently that you said, wow, I'm so glad I got this. 
uh, a bottle of red wine when I was really feeling down and I drank it uh, and it was like one of the most expensive bottles of wine I've ever bought and I, and I had it with a bowl of dal soup, like a curry, lentil curry uh, and a chapati and, and an achar yes. and I was like, screw this pairing of most expensive wine with this, you know, this fancy dinners, it doesn't matter. I had the most fabulous time listening to music, and that changed my life. What do you remember? What the bottle of wine, red wine was? It was a Chateau Lafitte uh, Rothschild, like twenty six hundred bucks. Wow! It was. Wow. Yeah, and and I had it with a bowl of lentil curry. Wow! And, what an uh, amazing like thing! Yeah, it was amazing. I was listening to uh, Mahmud Rafi, old world Indian music. I decanted the bottle that had it had so much sediment at the bottom because it was so old. Um, it was like an 84, 85. And I had bought this wine a while ago and I kept it and um, <clears throat> I opened it up and I decanted it. It tasted delicious. And I was like, I ain't pairing it with anything <laughs> French like a steak or anything else. I'm going to have it with dal. And I had a chapati and I had achar with it. It was like the worst combination of foodiness that you can ever do but the most fun and the pleasure on your palate and your soul. And I think there's such an, uh, a perfect image of who you are, right? You can compare high and low, you know, fancy, unfancy, but it doesn't matter. It's what you want and what you needed at the time. And, and the fact that it's stuck with you, I think is just amazing. And it's a testament of who you are. That's, that's incredible. Um, cool. My, my, my next question is when you think of a South Asian person you look up to, who would you say comes to mind and why? Uh, <clears throat> from a music point of view, I think Air Rahman uh, means a lot to me because he has been uh, brilliant in creating beautiful music. Uh, I sometimes think that I would like to be the Air Rahman of Indian food, you know, um, to be able to bridge the gaps of uh, all the cultures and the way when you listen to him play and, 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 and sing and he, he totally epitomizes the the the, the beauty of, of what music is. He, he purely sings. Mm. So <clears throat> I would say Air Rahman to me, uh, you know, would be one of those musicians that I would absolutely love. I think if Barack Obama was Indian, uh, somewhere along the lines, I would totally be, uh, you know, tell him that I have a highest respect for, for who he is and his beliefs, uh, Michelle Obama as well. Mm. Um, I would, uh, but if it was just purely South Asian, if you just wanted to use, I would, I would actually love to sit down with Gandhi one day and, and, and break bread with him and see, you know, what, what made him change a course of a nation. Like, I mean, he changed the way India is today in a loincloth. I mean, can you imagine the determination of a human being that in a loincloth he marched and changed the way India is today? For I mean, sure. what tenacity, what yes. hard work, what what perseverance it must have taken on his part is amazing. So I that's know. what I love. That's, yeah, it's just how one person can change the world, truly, he, he embodies that. Um, what is a movie or book, Vikram, that has had the most impact on you? Does something come to mind? <laughs> yeah, Shantaram is one of my favorite books uh, that is written by uh, Gregory Robert Davidson. He was a convict from New Zealand, went to Australia, and then he wrote a book about it in Bombay. I think it's one of my most brilliant books I've ever read. But if you actually take it by an Indian author, I do think Fine Balance by Rohington Mystery is one of the best books you've ever read. Um, it's, it's brilliant, um, the way he's written it. Vikram Seth is a friend, and I've always loved his book called The Suitable Boy. Um, always enjoyed it. So... I have always loved, uh, you know, reading Indian authors. Amitabh Ghosh has done a fantastic job of it. Salman Rushdie's done a fantastic job, even though I have a hard time sometimes following his thought process. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Shantaram would be on on my 
top two books I've ever read in my life. Awesome. And for the listeners, we'll, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. So if you want to check that out, please click on that to, to, to get your, your copy. Um, last few questions, Vikram. If you had to give an up-and-coming South Asian person who wants to be a chef, who wants to get in the world of cooking and restaurants and you know building a career out of it, what advice would you give them and why? Uh, biggest advice would be is uh, be who you are. Uh, put yourself on the plate. If you are going to eat that dish, if you're going to eat yourself that way, then put yourself on the plate. Be be that person. And don't cook for fame. Don't cook for name. Don't cook for uh, that, oh, my God, this is going to bring me happiness. Uh, or, no, this is going to bring me uh, fame. Cook because you really believe in it. Cook that dish because you really think, ah, this is delicious, and I, I really like it, and I want to do this. As far as uh, being a chef is concerned, um, <clears throat> I would say, uh, you know, broaden your horizons, work in as many different cuisines of restaurants, you know, whether you work at a, a, a Mexican restaurant or whether you work at a, a Guatemalan restaurant or whether you work at, as a, at a Chinese restaurant, anywhere else you work, just broaden your horizons, travel to these parts of the world, experience the cuisines and the foods of different parts of the world, because you will, you'll come back uh, so enamored and so loved and, and, you know, you will enjoy it. So that would be my advice for a young chef, travel the world. Would there be a, like a, just like a lot of people, I, I feel that we, we, that in, in my generation just don't know what the first step should be. Do you have a simple first step or something to read or something to look at just to get the ball rolling? Yeah. Uh, put on some music, open up a nice bottle of wine, <laughs> open up your pantry and just play with the stuff that you have in the kitchen. Yes. Cause it's be all crea- about be creative. experimenting, right? creative be creative yeah even if you don't know how to, even if you can make the best bloody omelet in the day and boiled eggs that's what you should do i love it do it enjoy it. it wonderful this has been just an amazing amazing interview vikram wow my 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 notes are like literally chock full of things that i thought were just um super that just came out of this do you have any final ask for the audience anything you'd like to leave them with um, <clears throat> I think my final ask uh, is never forget where you came from. And like a f- beautiful tree that bears a lot of fruit, stay humble, remain focused, and work harder than you did yesterday, but not as hard as tomorrow because uh, life is so beautiful and, and make sure that you enjoy every moment of it. Yes. And and for people who are interested in learning more about Vikram and his life, he recently, or a few years ago, released an autobiography, A Chef's One-Way Ticket to Canada with Indian Spices in His Suitcase. I'm definitely going to check it out. So if people want to hear more about Vikram, it's an autobiography. So you wrote it yourself, and, and I'm sure it has a lot more stories that you've heard today. So uh, Yeah, it's a journey... I mean, it took us three years to write the book, and there were times when I, uh, you know, put the book down and said, I, I can't write about that. I cannot write about, uh, you know, separating. I can't write about this. I'm, I'm not going to talk about this. This is too public. And then at the end, I was like, well, how is somebody going to know that their life is as 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 normal as my life is? Like, you know, don't put me on a pedestal or anywhere else. I am just this normal guy. Uh, that has, you know, gotten where he's gotten because of just hard work and getting up in the morning and going to work, basically, you know. Yeah. So the book is is a journey. It's a personal journey. So read it. You might have shed some, you know, some tears along the line. Sometimes you laugh. That's life. Yes. Yeah. So definitely check that out. And um, Vikram, thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for all the work you've done the past 30 years. Um, if you're ever in, if for me and if the listeners, if you're ever in Vancouver, check out his restaurants. I'm sure they'll be you'll be treated <laughs> like a prince uh, when you're when you're there. So um, I can't wait to to to, to continue the journey and, and follow you more. Thank you, Vikram.
Samir, thank you very much. Namaste, everybody. Um, and uh, thank you for giving the opportunity to, uh, you know, showcase uh, my my journey with, with all the listeners. And please come and visit us. But more than that, just have a fabulous Indian meal once a week. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. Doesn't thank matter where you are. Hey guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.